Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Women Offshore podcast. I'm April Killian, filling in for Ali Cedeno while she's on maternity leave. I'm a licensed mariner, a U.S. Coast Guard officer, and a volunteer at Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcast are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Be inspired by the stories shared here. Thank you to the Oil & Gas Global Network, known as OGGN, for their continuous support as our podcast producer. They have the best energy shows on their network. Hello, everyone. It's April back again, and today I'm super excited to be here with my friend and fellow Coast Guard veteran, retired Master Chief Diane Busey. Thank you so much for being here today, Diane. Thanks for having me. So Diane and I are both involved in preserving the stories of the women who served in the Coast Guard during the Second World War. In fact, during the summer, we were together at the Military Women's Memorial in Arlington, Virginia, with Coast Guard spar Miss Jean Official. That was such an unforgettable experience. But today, we're here to talk about Diane's career in the Coast Guard and the barriers she broke to show the world that women are able mariners and strong leaders. So, Diane, where did you join the Coast Guard and why did you decide to join the Coast Guard? Well, I joined out of Philadelphia. That's where I was born and raised back in 1975. I had no intention of joining the Coast Guard, but I did want to join the military. I wanted to join the Navy and I wanted to be a naval nurse like my mom's sister was. And that was my childhood dream from a very, very young child. And when the time came, I was still only 17 even though I was, you know, I didn't turn 18 till the end of my senior year. And my dad didn't want me to join the service. So I couldn't get him to sign any of the papers back then. You had to have both parents sign your papers. Oh, wow. So I had to wait. And by the time I turned 18, I couldn't get into that program that the Navy had for nursing. I would have to wait another year. And I didn't want to wait. So I left the Navy recruiting office, you know, pretty disappointed. And it walked right past the Coast Guard recruiting office and the Coast Guard recruiter was standing there in the door and invited me in. And he said, why don't you join the Coast Guard? And I said, well, I want to be a nurse. He goes, we don't have nurses. (laughs) And I said, he goes, we only have hospital corpsmen and you don't want to do that. And I said, well, what would I do? He goes, we'll make you a bosun mate. Well, what's a bosun mate? He goes, you'll drive boats all day long and just be out on the water all day long. I I don't know anything about boats. We'll teach you. Don't worry. Awesome. And so I joined and I was originally a reserve. And so I did my six months of active duty and went to Bosomate Port Security Men's School down there in Yorktown. After basic training, I went to Station New York for just a very short period of time, a couple of weeks, then went to Yorktown. And then I got assigned to a reserve unit in Gloucester City, New Jersey. And I was only there for maybe three months and then decided I wanted to do it full time. And so I enlisted into the active duty Coast Guard. That is very cool. So you went from being a nurse to being a bosun's mate. I I don't see any difference. Do you? (laughs) Both very compassionate people, right? Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) I bet you were probably on the end of helping get people to the nurses. (laughs) You were still very involved, I'm sure, at times in medical. A few times. Yeah, a few times because of their own fault, sometimes maybe because of mine, but (laughs) it's nothing that I regret. I mean, it really turned out to be 
I did spend a lot of time on the water. My first assignment was in Cape May, New Jersey station, and it was a very, very busy search and rescue station. And so I really did spend all my days out on the water, you know, summer and winter and got a lot of, you know, experience. That sounds like fun. Well, most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) So did you ever face any opposition in the Coast Guard because you were a woman? Different times in my career. I was fortunate when I went to Cape May Station, I would say 90% of the people were very acceptance of me. It happened to be a station that had a lot of women there, even back in, now it was 1976. And I believe there was probably eight of us at the station and three of us were boat coxswains. And the reason being is the Coast Guard used to send us there. And I, I think they sent some of the women to... You had to go to a station where there was 44 footers so you can get surfmen qualified because at that time the ships weren't open. And so in order to get your sea time, you had to get surfmen qualified. Back then they called it heavy weather coxswain. Oh, right. So that's what you had to get that certification in order to make first class. Men too, you know, if you didn't have sea time, you could get your heavy weather coxswain and that took the place of it. So those guys were pretty good. I did have, you know, one or two guys there that didn't appreciate us being there, but because you had everybody else there, it worked out well. And to this day, I'm still good friends with a lot of those guys that, you know, I grew up with down there at Cape May Station. And during my career, it would be at different times. I think I really didn't have any other problems until I was at the point when I was already a chief. And your promotions were getting smaller and smaller going to senior chief and master chief. And that's when it was. And it was just, you know, they felt is, you know, I was getting promoted just because I was a woman, you know, even though I had to take the same service wide that they did, same, same test, you know, to make chief, it took a long time because I was competing against a lot of people that were very senior to me and yeah. your time in service and time and pay grade counted a lot. And I didn't have those points for time and service and pay grade. Or then when they came out with sea time, I didn't have the sea time points that some of the guys had because I didn't have the opportunities to go to sea. Right. Because those opportunities weren't allowed to you like it was to them. They opened up the ships in 1977 and I didn't go to sea until 1984 and I was already a first class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whereas a lot of them were third classes and yeah, non-rates, third classes, you know, second classes. So pretty intimidating to be going on an icebreaker. And, you know, I had a warrant bosun and a chief bosun and then me and then the rest of the deck force. And there was about 40 people, you know, that you're supervising. And a lot of them knew a lot more about the stuff than I did. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been challenging. It was very challenging. So And that's probably where the first time I ran into somebody, well, I shouldn't say that. There was another time where I had a guy, an officer who really pushed me, you know, to advance and, you know, kept encouraging me. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. So I guess that leads into my next question of, did you have any mentors that helped you on your journey and your career and pursuing your professional goals? I did. When I was on recruiting duty, there was a commander in our town who had a director of auxiliary out there in Western Pennsylvania. And he was a surface operator, you know, his whole career. And he really did encourage me all the time. He, I remember him encouraged me to take the service wide class because I didn't think I was, you know, could really, do, and it was hard. 
you know, but, you know, he helped me study and, you know, some of the nomenclature, it's one thing to read it in a book. It's another thing to actually, you know, do it and see it. I'm a visual learner. So it was a little bit harder. I did have an opportunity at that time to sail on Eagle for 10 days. So that was my first time really underway on a large Coast Guard ship. Was a sailing vessel. Yes. (laughs) Sailing (laughs) vessel. But, you know, it's, you know, just to even see, you know, the watches and the routine mm-hmm. and, you know, lowering a small boat and things like that. Some of that was, so it was, so that did help a lot. So I was very fortunate enough to be able to do that. And he encouraged me to do that. My icebreaker, my warrant bosun, he really, really encouraged me and pushed me. And there were days I hated him, you know, <laughs> because his philosophy was <laughs> He could get by on three hours of sleep at night. So could I. Oh wow! (laughs) But he had me qualify as a deck watch officer. And if I hadn't done that, I never would have became the officer in charge, you know, of my own unit. Yeah. Because he pushed me to do that. That's fantastic. It's so important. I think in the maritime or in the coast, in any, any, career field, but definitely, you know, with our experience at Seed, it's so important to have a mentor and someone to push you and to kind of guide you so that you can, you know, to learn from what they did. It is. It is important. At the time, I think when you're going through it and when you're that young in your career, you don't realize it. Yeah. You know, and then you have to really think back and say, like, who was that person that pushed me and, you know, and labeled you know, back then we didn't label them as mentors. You know, or, or, or yeah, not formally. Yeah, yeah. So how did you learn that you would be the first enlisted woman to have command at sea? I don't know. When I made chief, I was at Group Mauritius and I came above the cut and I was looking, I wanted to go to sea. I wanted to go back to sea because I had came off of Glacier, went to Group Mauritius and I wanted to go back to sea because I did enjoy it. And I wanted the experience only to find that it was very difficult, again, to find a rack available with that rating, you know, and a place to go. As a woman at that time, it was only about three or four ships open to us, you know, the icebreaker and, you know, two 378s. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that the 65-footer was coming open, one of the 65-footers, and I put in for it. And they originally said, no, you can't because of the accommodations. Well, the accommodations were really, it's just a bunk, you know, in a little room that had an accordion door on it. And there's one head and they said, well, you can't because of that. And I said, well, why not? I said, does it have a lock on it? And they go, <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, what, how is it different than the female COs that you have on 95 footers? Yeah. They're the only ones. And it was June Ryan. She had a 95 footer in Maine. And I said, well, how does, you know, Lieutenant June Ryan do it? Right. You know, and so why can't I do it? And then they came back and they said, I, well, I guess you're right. Wow. Yeah, I guess you can do it. And, that's great. And that's how it happened. It was just pushing them, you know, to say, why not? Yeah. And then realizing afterwards that I was be the first one. But, you know, and, and then that was kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah. <laughs> kind of I think scary. that's one thing I've learned in my career is that sometimes you, you don't, not sometimes, but you can't wait until it's, you know, you have to ask, you have to be the one that is pushing. So I think if you that, don't ask the answer is already no. Right. Exactly. Yes. So exactly. you just have to say, why not? Why not? 
And, yeah. you know, and I guess, you know, I was fortunate that the detailer, and you may know him, Mr. Stacy, Wayne Stacy. No, he was my detailer at the time. And he had had a 65 footer. In fact, he had the capstan at one time, you know, so he had been on board and he knew what the layout was like. And, you know, and it was like, yeah, why not? So again, here was somebody else, another guy that was forward thinking and, you know, some people there that, you know, went to bat for me. Yeah, that's great to have allies that help to support and encourage that. Sometimes that's what it takes. So what was it like being an OIC? It was pretty intimidating at first, you know, because of being the first and afraid, you know, afraid of making a mistake, you know, that even if somebody else made a mistake, it would be no big deal. But if I made the mistake, it would be a big deal. Yeah. Be like, we told you so, you know, that right. they didn't do it. And so that was kind of always on the back of my mind. I had a good crew. So, you know, the same type of thing, like if you take care of your crew, they're going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So I had a good crew. We did a lot of stuff. You know, they saw that I was very capable of, you know, handling the boat and was, you know, was I the best boat handler? No, I had a BM3 who was, I mean, an excellent boat handler, you know, much, much better than me. But, you know, yeah, I could drive the boat. And, yeah. you know, and on that small of a crew, we had nine people instead of the normal seven, because we used to leave people behind to at our unit to do SAR or Aton or something like that in the river. But, you know, they saw just the way I operated. And then I was really no different than some of the other people they worked for. That's great. I mean, that's what it takes when you get out there and they see that you can do the job just like they can. You can do the job and you watch out for the crew and take care of the crew. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of your people. They take care of you. That's right. Yeah. So do you feel the Coast Guard has made changes in policies and the opportunities for women since you've served? Oh, many, many, many opportunities. And it's good to see it. It's good to see so many women at sea now. I saw a statistic recently last month that, you know, give or take, depending on who's transferring on and who's transferring off, there's almost like a thousand women at sea. That's great. You know, in the Coast Guard, when I was at sea, you know, there was probably, there's probably wasn't 50 of us, <laughs> you know, when you think there was, you know, maybe 60, you know, because I think we had 20 on the icebreaker and, you know, the two, three seventy eights, you know, maybe another 20 on each of them. <laughs> and that was it. Oh my so goodness. To have almost a thousand part of me sad that it's this many years later and it's only a thousand. Mm-hmm. I wish it was more, but the mm-hmm. Coast Guard really is doing a lot now with, they have that female afloat coordinator. Yes. Yes. And she is doing a phenomenal job and it's a shame that you still need someone in that position mm-hmm. to do it, that the detailers just can't look to say, hey, I have this, you know, job to fill and why they don't automatically think, you know, let me do this, that it takes someone else to do that for it. But I'm glad it's there. I'm yeah. very glad that it's there. And it has really made a difference in with the new ships that they've built. And now they're going to be starting to convert the river tenders. You know, they've been kind of like the last holdout there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. (laughs) And so that will make a big difference. Yeah. Prior, you know, and it's different for the enlisted side than the officer side. The officer side was always able to go to sea. It was the enlisted side that was limited. That's really interesting. When they came out of the academy, they went to sea and you have a stateroom and 
two people in a stateroom. And in fact, it was in Yorktown back when I was an instructor and I was a first class. Um, the commandant came, you know, to give a talk to all hands and he did a question and answer. And I stood up and I said, Admiral, when are you going to open up more of the ships to the enlisted women? I said, Good. male officer and go to any ship in the Coast Guard. I'm limited to three. Yeah. And, and I was in my dress uniform and he said, well, boats, when you make chief, we'll send you to sea. And I said, Admiral, I need sea time to make chief. Yeah. And he was, and he was like, what do you say to that? (laughs) (laughs) So that made, and then right after that, I got orders to an icebreaker. It's like, yeah, you want to go to sea? We're going to send you to sea. We'll send you to sea. (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. (laughs) But that was also a, a job that because the Coast Guard's so small and you'll hear about other people, somebody else did have orders to that ship. And something happened to them and they lost their orders. And I called the detail and I said, Hey, I hear that person's not going to be able to go to that ship. They're no longer eligible. And I want to go. Yeah. And they, they're like, Oh, we didn't hear that. And I said, well, I'm telling you, I heard yeah. it. You, know? <laughs> yeah, you, know, so you they, have to find, you have to make those opportunities happen. You do. You do yeah. have to make those opportunities. And so you can say, I want to go. And then I got the opportunity to go. That's fantastic. What advice would you share with women that are seeking a career as seer in the Coast Guard? Well, I would say to go for it. It's hard to do it, particularly when you have children. But I think it's best to go when the children are young. You know, it's harder on you, but it's easier on the kids. Yeah. Because the kids don't have the concept of time. They don't realize for how long you're gone for six months on that icebreaker. My little girl was right before she went to first grade. So, I mean, I wasn't there to walk her to first grade or anything like that. I was, you know, underway. But, you know, she's 43 now and she doesn't really remember that time. Yeah. She knows I wasn't around, but she doesn't know for, you know, how long I wasn't around. She doesn't remember that day that I wasn't there. Right. Even when, yeah, you know, it pulled at your heart, you know, to call home and, you know, they don't want to talk to you because they're busy, you know, doing other things. And it's your, you know, it's your only opportunity to talk to them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you hang up the phone and you cry, but, you know, you, you just then go out with your buddies and move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I would say, go to see, go to see and go to see when the kids are young. I think when the kids are a little bit middle school stuff, maybe that's when you want to be there for them. Right. I also joke that, you know, particularly if you have daughters, when they become teenagers, that's when you want to go back to see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, find a job that takes you away. Yeah. (laughs) Again, until they're in their 20s. Maybe that's when I'll go back. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, it's doable. Yes, it's hard but it is doable. You do have to have a support network. Yeah. You do have to be able to know that, you know, your child's going to go live with, you know, the spouse, maybe not even in the same city that you're in. In some ways, it's no different than what a guy would do or the decisions they make for their family. Where's the best place to live? Why the other one's gone? So they have that support unit. Because you know, as well as I do, it's when that person's gone that everything falls apart. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. (laughs) And nowadays with, you know, back when I did it, it was all snail mail. Yeah. So all you're getting was letters. letters. You pull into port, you make a collect phone call and you didn't stay on long because it was very expensive. Yeah. 
you know, to call collect from a, a phone booth. But nowadays with FaceTime and WhatsApp and stuff, I don't really know if that's better or worse. I don't know how I would have done that with being able to see them and talk to them if it would have how that would be. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with someone about that. I guess I'm dating myself as well. But when I was still sailing, it was not we had email, but it wasn't as instantaneous as it is now. So anything good, anything bad, you knew it right then and there. So, you know, nowadays, you really have to compartmentalize anything that's going on at home. So you know, you don't get yourself killed in the middle of an unwrap because you're not focused. Because <laughs> you're not focused. Yeah. So yeah. it was easier because you didn't get that mail till you came into port. Right. So you're in port for a couple of days. So you have a couple of days to absorb all those letters that you just read. And hopefully they were numbered on the back. So you read them in order yeah. <laughs> to find out what's going on. But, you know, nowadays, yeah, it's you have to put that aside. Exactly. That's definitely a challenge that mariners and coasties have to deal with now that wasn't dealt with before. A new dynamic. Yeah. We didn't even have the email back then. It was strictly mail. Just mail. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Admiral Fagan becoming the first commandant of the Coast Guard and the first female service chief in the history of our nation? I'm very proud that, again, the Coast Guard was the first, you know, to have that. And she's the right woman for the job. Absolutely. She really is. I know you see postings once in a while and things like that, that she's doesn't have a cutterman's pin, but she's M. That's a big part of the Coast Guard, always has been a big part of the Coast Guard. Yes, so, very much so. Very much so. And so it is just as important. It really is. It's, you know, it's one of our missions. So it'd be no different if they were an aviator, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, it's. I guess it's everybody's being very possessive of, you know, their own field. But I I think she's the right woman for the job. I think she's doing a great job. And I'm glad to see her there. I'm very proud of her. Very proud of the Coast Guard for, you know. Me too. I'm really excited to see what she does and what she's already done. So I have to agree with you. Yeah. A lot more women in the, you know, the higher ranks now. So we're getting there. Yeah. Breaking those glass ceilings. Yes. Yeah. Which is exciting. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate our time and your thoughts on your career and about the future of the Coast Guard and women at sea. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, April. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel women offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop, make a donation, or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon.